Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont. If you're in our area, we wanted to let you know that we have community groups starting back again in September. So check out that and other ministries we have going on here at newkingchurch.com. Remain standing as we hear from Matthew 5. We're going to be reading in Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you can be seated. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm excited to be starting the Sermon on the Mount. This is um, Jesus' most famous sermon, and it is full of good stuff. And um, so we'll see how much we get through today. I have a feeling not a whole lot, <laughs> um, but, but we'll get through as much as we can. Um, has, has anyone else ever experienced the frustration that comes from recognizing that you are not the same person that you wish you were? You're not the person you really wish you were. Anybody else ever experienced that frustration? And I'm not talking about like you look in the mirror and you realize there's more, more wrinkles than you thought that, that you had or you, you've been putting on some pounds. That happens to all of us too. But I'm talking about you recognize that deep down at the very core of who you are, you're not the person you wish you were. You're not even the person that you think that you are a lot of times. Um, we've all experienced this frustration, and the, the, the root of this is that who we really are comes out from our hearts. And so all of us need to experience transformation. I called this sermon The Secret to True transformation. Thankfully, God specializes in this. He specializes in transformation and making us new. Um, No human being who's ever lived was better at this than Jesus, at helping people to be new, to be transformed from the inside out. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has the potential to do that for us. And so we're going to be working our way through that. We're going to look at an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount today. Then we're going to look at two big lessons that we learn immediately right when we dive into Jesus' teachings. And then we're going to hit those first two Beatitudes, okay? That's as far as I'm planning on getting this morning. Um, And then we'll cover the rest of the Beatitudes next week. So pray with me. Let's ask that God would help me and help us to learn. Father, um, 
I thank you that the pressure is not on me. Holy Spirit, you do the work of sanctification. You change us. And you use your word to do it. We need your help right now. We, we, we're powerless to change ourselves. And yet, we have a part to play. <laughs> and that, that mystery is profound, but true. Would you help us to see our part, but to depend upon you the whole way? Give us revelation this morning as we hear your words. They're simple, but powerful. Help me as I preach, God. Give me the words to say. I pray for every person here this morning and every person listening online that that you would give us good soil hearts so that the seed of God's word can go into our hearts and bear fruit. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you haven't yet, Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, yeah, I got somebody cheering for me in the back. Um, we're going to look at the first few verses, but first, in Matthew 4, just a few verses, if you just back up a few verses, in, in Matthew 4, verse 23, Matthew gives us sort of this summary statement of Jesus' ministry. And here's what he says. He says, and he, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, that's one thing, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that's another thing, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So Jesus is doing these three things. This is a summary of his ministry. He's preaching the kingdom. We talked about that last week. He's announcing the kingdom, the availability of it. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within, within grasp. It is available to those who want it. He's announcing that. He's teaching. He's teaching the way of the kingdom. What is the kingdom of heaven like? What's the culture of heaven like? He's teaching that. And then he's demonstrating the power of the kingdom. So he's preaching teaching and demonstrating. He's casting out demons, showing the authority of the kingdom. He's healing diseases and afflictions, showing what it's like in heaven. There is none of this. And so these are the three things that Jesus is doing. Now, depending upon your um, church bent, I'll call it, will determine what sections of the gospels you're drawn to. If you have a little bit more of a charismatic bent, welcome. Um, we're glad you're here, then the Sermon on the Mount may not be the thing that you are the most drawn to, because in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that the same Jesus who walks on water and raises people from the dead and casts out demons and heals sicknesses also gets all up in our business. And he, he, he wants to talk to us about all the little stuff in our life, all the nooks and crannies of our life, and he wants to tell us that to look at someone with lust is like committing adultery, and that to hate is like committing murder. And he wants to tell us when you give, don't tell anybody that you're giving. When you pray, when you fast, he's getting into all the nooks and crannies of our life, talking about all the things that we deal with on a daily basis. 
Or do you have a more theological bent? Welcome. We're, we're glad you're here. Well, if that's you, then there's going to be parts of the Gospels where Jesus is doing things that you, are have, you might have a hard time seeing the real connection, the real application to your life. Because the same Jesus who teaches us practical doctrines also believes that on occasion what we would label mental illness or even physical affliction is because of a demon. We see this Jesus who speaks to things like trees and you know they obey him. Wind and waves, they obey him. He, he defies the rules of nature. And so this Jesus is, you can't just pigeonhole him into one, one stream, you could say. Matthew aims to show us that this Jesus, he is a preacher, he is a teacher, he's a miracle worker. He's supernatural. But the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be mainly looking at that teaching side, that theological side, that practical stuff in chapters 5 through 7. Remember, last week I said that a kingdom is basically a reflection of the one ruling it. And so good kingdoms have to have a good uh, king or queen ruling over them. And the kingdom of heaven is no different. It's a reflection of King Jesus, who is the one who rules over it. And as we look through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see what this kingdom is like. All right, let's look at Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, And he opened his mouth and taught them. Now, notice it said, seeing the crowds. And then it said, when he sat down, his disciples came to him. As we read through the gospel, we find that there's this distinction. There's the crowds, and then there's the disciples. And the the crowds are people who are there investigating. They're, they're not there because they're disciples of Jesus or followers of Jesus, yet they're investigating. And what we see Jesus do, I think, is a model for the church, and it's what we try to do here at New King. And that is that when he sits down to teach and, and who he is speaking to, he's addressing his followers. He's talking to his disciples, and we find that throughout the sermon in verses 11 through 17, he's, he's addressing them specifically. You are the light of the world. You are the salt. So he's talking to them. He's talking about, you, blessed are you when you're persecuted because of me. He's talking to them. But, but he's also very much aware of and glad that there are those investigating him who are listening in. And so... Jesus is both equipping his disciples while at the same time welcoming and being hospitable to those who are investigating him. And that's exactly what we aim to do here at New King. That's, that is what we want to do. And in all that we do, we want to help you believers go deeper, become more mature, to be more equipped to do the work of ministry and we are so glad if you're here investigating who Jesus is and what he's all about, 
We're so glad you're here. And we have thought of you. And we are mindful of you. And we want to explain things that we can so that all of this makes sense to you. So, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It starts with these, what are called the Beatitudes. And that's just because they all start with this statement, blessed are thee. And beatitude is somehow it's Latin for blessed, I think. So, so he's saying, here is who is blessed. Let me tell you who's really blessed. And it's been said that this word in the Greek, this word that's translated blessed, could just as easily be translated happy. But when we think of happy, because of the cultural connotations with it, we think of something very shallow, something that comes and goes, right? We're happy that a new iPhone came out. We're happy that it stopped raining before the event. We're happy about little things, shallow things. This is a different kind of happiness. This is a deeper, richer, fuller, more lasting, more robust happiness. We might call it joy. So Jesus is saying, let me tell you who the truly blessed are, who is really happy in that sense. There are eight of these Beatitudes. If you read through them, you may at first count nine, but what you'll find is that verses, um, the, the, after verse 10 and verse 11, he's going in greater depth than what he just said about um, those who are persecuted. And so there's actually eight Beatitudes. They start and stop with this statement, theirs is the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom. That's the two, the two cap-end Beatitudes. And then in between that, there's six Beatitudes that have these promises. Theirs shall be, or they shall be. So he says, um, they shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. They shall receive mercy. They shall see God. They shall be called sons of God. You see, so he's saying, very beginning and very end, there's is the kingdom. These are people who are in the kingdom. I'm describing to you someone in the kingdom. <clears throat> but then he's also saying that there are these promises that they've not yet necessarily received. They're future promises. What's that about? Well, one of the things that we've got to know in order to make sense really of all of the New Testament is that the kingdom of God, some have described it as being already and not yet. The kingdom is already and the kingdom is not yet. And what that means is, yes, the kingdom has come, but we have not and do not experience the kingdom of God in its fullest. So you could say um, we already belong to the kingdom, but we will enjoy the full experience of kingdom life in the age to come. You could say we know Jesus, but you could also say we will know him fully when we see him face to face. You could say we are sons and daughters of God, and you could also say we eagerly wait for our adoption. You could say, we are holy and blameless. And then you could also say, we will be made holy completely 
when we see him face to face. So the kingdom of heaven has come. It is here, anywhere and everywhere that people willingly submit to the rule of Jesus Christ. The kingdom has come. And yet, the kingdom will come and will be fully and completely established on the earth when he returns. So, it is an already not yet kingdom. Now, I want us to see two lessons, two big lessons from Jesus' teachings. Immediately when we jump into the Sermon on the Mount, two big lessons that I want us to take away. The first lesson is this. Jesus sees things differently. Jesus begins with each of these Beatitudes, blessed are thee, and then he, he says things that don't necessarily make sense to us at first. Blessed are they, blessed are those who, who mourn. That's different. It doesn't feel, it doesn't make sense, right? Happy are those who mourn. What's the deal with that, Jesus? But Jesus sees things differently and he sees things correctly. And the reason it's hard for us when we, when we encounter places in Scripture where, where we say, that doesn't really line up for me, then here's the thing that we should know immediately. So I need to change. Not I need to twist this so that it makes sense for me, but I need to change. How many people in our world are desperately searching for happiness, for the blessed life? We look for it in our pursuit of wealth or status, our careers. We look for it in our security or adventures on the weekends or even in our good deeds that we do. We're searching for happiness on the internet and in our liquor cabinets or at the gym, or in our new diet. We're trying to find it in our relationships, or in our next big purchase, or in our Netflix binge. We're always looking for this. And then, something like coronavirus comes along and exposes the frailty of the things that we are seeking happiness in. Suddenly, we realize how empty we are on the inside. And if it isn't the coronavirus, it's something else. Our spouse leaves us or just disappoints us. Or we get the cancer diagnosis. Or our business fails. Or a friend moves away. Or we don't get the promotion we thought we should get. Or people let us down yet again. And so we see that the things we were chasing after cannot satisfy and they cannot last. Jesus is telling us what's real. Always. This is what he does. He's telling us what's real. And when he does, it's not what we expect. The reason is, see, when we see the kingdom of heaven, it looks upside down to us. It looks upside down to us because we're upside down. Did anybody 
Did anybody see Stranger Things? It's okay. You can admit it. There's grace here. Yeah. Stranger Things? Okay. So in this show, just to fill the rest of you in, um, in this show, there's this other dimension called the Upside Down, and it's kind of this freaky place. You can get stuck there, and, and you've got to get back to the, the real world where things are right side up. Well, here's the thing. We actually live in the Upside Down. Now, I know that's just a TV show, and it's fictional, but it, the idea for that came from somewhere, and here's where I think it came from. We actually, when sin entered into the world and the curse of sin came upon us, we got flipped upside down. Amen. Our world is completely upside down. And so, when we hear someone speaking sane things, like Jesus... We go, what's up with that? That is so weird. I, I thought of this this morning. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6. Acts is the book where the gospel is going forth. The disciples of Jesus are multiplying. And they're going around and they're, they're telling people about the kingdom of heaven. And then you get this scene where everybody's getting so upset that, that the good news about Jesus is spreading. Can, can anybody imagine that ever happening, that people wouldn't want to hear about Jesus? And it's been that way for 2,000 years. And people are so upset. And here's what they say. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What's up with that? Why does it say that? Why does it say they've turned the world upside down? Because wherever the kingdom of God goes forth, advances, it turns things right side up. And those that are still in the upside down look at it and they say, that's messed up. But y'all, the the clear declaration of the Beatitudes is that the kingdom of heaven is right side up and we are upside down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. The meek will inherit the earth. I thought it was the assertive that inherited the earth. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me? What? One of the first takeaways we should have when we hear these Beatitudes and when we look at the teachings of Jesus is, wow, Jesus, you don't see things like I see them. And the people of Jesus' day didn't either, and that's why most of them missed the fact that their long-awaited Messiah was standing right in front of them and they crucified him. And that's why there's hostility to our message still today. Every time we see things the way that Jesus sees them, 
We should rejoice. We are experiencing the renewing of the mind that, that Romans 12.2 talks about. It's a lifelong process, but as we follow Jesus, we see things gradually more and more right side up. And that's the way to true transformation. The illumination of what is true. In God's kingdom, the way to life is through death, John 12, 24. The last are considered first, Mark 10, 31. Weakness is the pathway to power, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The humble will be exalted, Matthew 23, 12. Servants are the true leaders, Matthew 20, 27. So as we learn how upside down our world is, then when we hear Jesus say things like, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, it shouldn't surprise us. We should immediately say, okay, of course, I'm expecting you to see things very differently than me. The second big takeaway lesson that we can get from Jesus' teachings is this. Jesus works from the inside out. Jesus transforms and works from the inside out. At the very outset of his teachings, we learn this, that he is very focused on the inner person. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. And this was not the way the religious leaders of Jesus' day taught. They had lost sight of this. They were, they were about um, the external following the rules, doing it the right way, right? But that's not because that's what the Scriptures had taught. They had gotten away from the truth in the Scriptures. Just one example, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Our world says, keep your reputation with all vigilance, for from it flows the promotions. From it flows the friendships. From it flows the self-confidence, the self-esteem. Jesus says, no, we've got to deal with the inner person. The Bible says the heart is what is the source of all of your life. Everything that you do comes from within. So it actually doesn't produce lasting change when we try to modify our behaviors, we try to modify our actions, and we don't look at the thing underneath the thing. So it's like, if anybody in here has a yard, it's like when you cut the top off of a dandelion. What happens? It looks good. It looks better for a few days. And then that thing comes back stronger and bigger and better than ever somehow. It's like every time you cut the top off of those things, they, get, they gain strength. It's like they're, they're, they're waiting for it, and they're like, yeah, you cut the top off again. Let's send some roots down farther. And it's the same thing. When we try to fix ourselves through behavior modification, that's exactly what we're doing. We're cutting the top off of a weed. And it comes back stronger and better than ever. 
So Jesus wants to get underneath in the inner life. If we want to be fundamentally different, really transformed, we have to go to the roots of our behaviors. So we need to ask questions like, why am I passive-aggressive toward people? Why do I feel the need to point people to my accomplishments? Why am I so critical of some people and not others? Why do I despise authority? Why do I overeat? Why am I so worried all the time? Why am I addicted to this particular sin? It's getting kind of personal, huh? Hey, I took this list from my own life. This is, these are the questions we need to ask. Not just say, I have got to stop turning to food for my comfort. That's just behavior modification. Instead, we need to ask, God, show me why do I turn to food for my comfort? Why do I do that? Fix me on the inside, at the root The entire Sermon on the Mount is geared toward the inner life where true transformation happens. All right, we're going to try and just hit these first two Beatitudes, all right? And they're they're very connected. Verses 3 and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So Jesus is is starting here on purpose. Because this is the starting point for entering into the kingdom of heaven. You must be poor in spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means to recognize your need. It means to recognize your brokenness. It means to acknowledge you need help. And this doesn't, you know, necessarily align with how things look in your life. Things could look fine on the outside. You can be poor in spirit and everything still be okay on the outside. This is a recognition that If God doesn't intervene, it's over for me. This is how my life in the kingdom began. When I think back, my testimony is I was was in college. Things looked fine. I was was going to a good school, the best school, by the way, University of Georgia. Um, And things looked fine. You know, I was living the, the American dream, I guess, in college. But I recognized that I wasn't okay. And this was a grace. This is God at work in my life that I would go to the party and come home at night and lay in bed and weep. And say, this isn't, this isn't all there is. I know this isn't all there is. This can't be all there is. I'm not fulfilled I'm not okay. I'm not in control of myself. We have to start here. We have to admit that we're in need or we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Both James and Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is upside-down stuff, right? Or it looks upside-down to us. In our world, the world celebrates pride, encourages it, says you should be proud. The world tells us believe in yourself. Trust yourself. Listen to your heart. You're good. You're enough. The world tells us that that the ultimate goal in life is to find your true self. Does any of this stuff sound familiar? It's like in every movie. It's like the moral of every movie. Find your true self. You're enough. You can do it. Follow your heart. The Bible is right side up. And the Bible tells us that our hearts are wicked and cannot be trusted. The Bible says that pride is a root of all kinds of evil. The Bible says the goal of life is not to find your true self, but to find God and become like Him. Your unique version, but like Him. And so Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, you must humble yourself before God. Admit your sins. Confess your sins to God. Admit your brokenness, and God will be gracious to you. Jesus tells a story to illustrate this in Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, and he says this. It says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, sounds like all the movies, and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Don't we have a tendency to be more like the Pharisees? To think we are the model Christian, or we're the model leader, or we're the model mom, or we're the model student, or we're the model boss. And everyone else should do it like us. We must be careful because this is the heart attitude that is the most offensive to God. God draws near to those who have a poverty of spirit. Second one. This one's shorter. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The person who is humble before God, poor in spirit, knowing their need for mercy, is also the person who mourns over their sin. The tax collector in Jesus' parable got it right. We are acting rightly, right side up, when our sin brings us to our knees and brings us to tears and makes us weep and howl and mourn like James 4 says. So, do you want to be comforted? Do you want to experience the peace of God? The Bible tells us that we can, that we can have a clean conscience before Him, that we can walk around like we're lighter than air, and the only way that happens is when you know you're forgiven. When you know God holds nothing against me. If God holds nothing against me, then no one can touch me. Take my life and still I stand before God blameless. So he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted to experience a truly clean conscience. Here's what we have to do. We have to believe the gospel. First and foremost, we've got to believe the gospel. What do I mean? The king of heaven, the one who taught this sermon, he lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross and died a brutal death. And the reason he did that is so that he could take the punishment for our wickedness, for our sin. We have broken God's law, all of them. In the upside down, we've been doing it wrong the whole time. And Jesus comes and says, I'll clean the slate. I'll take all the punishment. And he dies, and he's buried, and it looks like the king is gone forever. And then on the third day, his heart starts beating again, and he comes walking out of the grave, declaring victory, declaring a new life for everyone who will believe in him and follow him. So if you want a clean conscience... Run to Him. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Run to Him. Fall at His feet. Admit your need. Admit your brokenness. Confess your sin and say, please have mercy on me, a sinner like that tax collector. And He will justify you. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll give you a clean conscience. Let me ask you this as we close. If Jesus were standing here today, would you be one of the crowd investigating? Or are you one of his disciples? I just I want to give you the invitation, whether you're here this morning or you're watching online, or you're listening to this recording later. If you're within the hearing of my voice and you're investigating Jesus, run to him. Come and fall at the feet of a new king today.
Submit your life to his loving leadership because there's no better way than the kingdom way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your words that are true, perfect, flawless, trustworthy. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to announce the kingdom, to teach the way of the kingdom, to demonstrate the power of the kingdom, and ultimately to provide a way in to the kingdom through his very body broken for us. Father, for those in the room who have already turned from their sins and are following Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us to see things right side up, to go to your word and see where we are wrong, where we're off, where we're still upside down? Would you transform us by the renewing of our minds? Help us to see and love this King of heaven. And for those who don't, don't yet know him, Lord, would you draw them to yourself? Would you help them to let go of it all, to fall at your feet, and to receive new life? Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.